Okay, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, I just thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for helping us get here, Lord. It's so hard sometimes at the end of the day. I thank you for your mercies that we have walked in today that are new. And God, we are just asking for your help right now, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would quicken our bodies and our minds, Lord, that our spirits would be set aflame with your word, that you would help us get the vision of you and your word that you desire, that, Lord, you would give us understanding. Lord, we just need your help. I need your help to be a channel, um, and we all need your help to receive it and, and grasp what you have for us. So, Lord, we are asking you to come with great power right now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I thought it was interesting. Several of you said you're in Bible Study Fellowship. Um, how I ca came to, to teach women um, was... I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and always had a heart for the things of God and got involved. You know, I went to Sunday school and would walk home. We lived by a First Baptist Church. And when I was got in the youth group, um, I went to a church. I was very involved. And I got saved when I was 12, and I was very passionate about the Lord. But I wasn't in a church where I was really fed or taught the word deeply. You know, church camp was powerful. I went all the time, but it, it wasn't really big for me. Until probably in my early 20s, I went through, uh, the Lord took me and all my, I was a really good kid, and I thought I was a really good kid. I probably thought God was pretty lucky to have me. <laughs> I wouldn't have said that, but looking back now, I see that about myself. Pride is an issue, and um, the Lord was very gracious to take me to a place of brokenness, failure, and just through a lot of stuff, infertility, and a miscarriage, and um, for the first time, I couldn't make something happen that I wanted to make happen. And it was the hardest time of my life, the most crushing time of my life, but it also plowed up the ground, the hard, prideful ground of my heart, and then set the stage for the Lord to come in and move us to a new church with really great teaching. And I got involved after I had my twins in Bible study fellowship. And so I was in it for 20 years because I homeschooled my kids and I wanted them to be in the Word. And so Bible Study Fellowship, along with the great teaching that I've been able to, to be under in churches, really set my heart aflame and changed my life. The Word of God changed my life. And so many of you have talked about wanting to be fed and, and all of those things. And, you know, I, teaching is, is, I think, you know, my spiritual gift. But the truth is, if you sit in Bible study for 20 years and you're not able to teach somebody, there's something wrong. And I'm not saying you got to get up in front of a, a big women's study, but you should be teaching somebody somewhere. And so that's part of the goal. The goal is not just for me to deliver something to you, but to set up a framework for you to experience God and his word on your own. And so that's, that's why it is. I'm very passionate about Bible study because I know what it's done in my life. Um, it's how you know God. It's how you know yourself. It's how you make sense of the fallen world. It helps you be the, the woman that God wants you to be, the daughter, the mother, the sister, the friend. All of those things come through the shaping of the word of God. Um, it's the fuel that will equip you to make an eternal difference. And we don't just want to be here and go every day and do our jobs. We want to make an eternal difference. That's why God has left us here. Um, 
The other thing about the Word of God is it's a constant adjuster of our thinking. Because left to ourselves, living in this world, we're pressed with so many things that are not true and of God. And so when you put yourself consistently under the Word of God, it readjusts your perspective, it readjusts how you view things, and it keeps you on track. So all of those are very important reasons and why Bible study is important to me. And like I said, my goal is not just to deliver the Word to you, but to help you come alongside and experience God and His Word yourself. So, if you would, take out your course description. I want to talk about that just a little bit that I gave you on one of your handouts. Make a couple of points here. This is like your syllabus for the Crossgate Women's Study. Okay, so we've already talked about how it's the, a study of the book of Romans, and it's not just a doctrinal study. It, it, is, it is like the jewel of God's grace. And we're going to look at so many different facets of it as we dig into different things. And hopefully it will unfold as we linger before it. That's how I want you to view this study of Romans. Now, when you approach the Word of God, there's a couple of, I want to give you some of what I think are my foundational scriptures. Because there's, there's this partnership. There's God's part and there's your part. And they both have to work together. So... Um, the first scripture, Proverbs 2, 1 through 6, says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And I love this scripture because it gives you, God wants us to do our part. We can't just come and osmosis absorb great knowledge of God and have an amazing experience. Because if you look at some of these verbs, accept, store up, turn your ear, apply your heart, call out for insight, cry aloud. Do you see the active part of what he wants us to do? And then it says, then you're going to receive this because the Lord is the one that's going to give you the wisdom. So there's that two part. And the other piece of that is prayer. Because apart from the Spirit of God, we can get a little bit of surface understanding, but we're not really going to grab hold of the truth. So always come in before the Word with prayer and asking God to give us understanding. it. Um, and it doesn't always happen immediately. Sometimes you have to linger and continue to press and seek. But that's very important. The other thing, 2 Timothy 2.7 says, reflect on what I'm saying. Now think about what it means to reflect. Doesn't that imply slowing down and pondering? And how many of us struggle with that anymore because of the way our world is? And yet you see that all through Scripture, reflecting, waiting on the Lord, meditating. It's almost a lost art. So it's something that, I mean, I've lost a bit of it myself in the last few years. I'm not as good at it as I used to be. But I want to encourage us to recognize that it, this is not like doing a Google search and boom, God's going to pop out an answer because it's a relationship. It's a relationship. It'd be kind of like, um, 
if your husband or your boyfriend or your best friend came home and said, okay, I've got five minutes, what's the most important part of your day, and then i got to move on. That's kind of how some people po- you know, go to their devotion time to the Lord. Okay, God, I'm giving you 10 minutes. You need to, you know, shoot me what you want, and I'm moving on. And in a relationship, a love relationship, that's not effective. I think we all get that piece. And then it says, uh, the Lord will give you insight. You do the reflecting, and then the Lord gives insight. You see how there's that partnership? And then Psalm 39.3, it says, my heart grew hot within me. There's the understanding and the passion as I did what? meditated, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. So you have to allow time, you have to allow focus, and you have to ask God for it. Now, I want to give you some encouragement. Each lesson stands alone. Therefore, if you miss one lesson or more, this is not like a college course where you're going to be dropped. Come. Everything stands alone. Don't quit, and you'll be able to get it anyway, but Keep pursuing God is what I'm saying. Don't think if you miss something that you're still not going to receive something. I can't tell you how many times I've looked back at some of my lessons, especially early on in Bible study fellowship, where there was nothing on any of the pages because I had two two two-year-olds at home. So hopefully that's not going to be the case this whole 16 weeks, but you will have times when you won't, you know, be able to put as much time into it. And some people have more time than others. I get that. But any time spent pursuing the knowledge of God is going to have eternal value. You have to fight for what's truly valuable. Developing a thinking mind, especially in regard to spiritual truth, takes both time and practice. Do not be discouraged if answers don't come immediately. Pray, continue to read and think as you wait on God to reveal his truth to your heart, to your mind, and to your spirit. The very acts of reading, thinking, and praying over Scripture in and of themselves, that is pursuing a relationship. It's not just that you get something to write down on your paper. As you're thinking and you're waiting on the Lord, that is the relationship. So I don't want you to think of it as just as what you can come up with on your paper. That's not the goal. The goal is the relationship. So you may, you may spend an hour and get nothing Praise God that you spent that hour. I'm just saying. So I don't want you to think this is like a course where you're turning in homework. And here's my contact information, my email, and my phone number. If you ever have a question or want to ask me something, please feel free to. Okay. Um, So we'll start with that. We're not going to look at the lesson right now. I'm going to move into some introduction here. And I'm going to have to kind of get used to how I'm going to keep this mic here and see my notes and whether I need my glasses or not. So we're going to take a little practice on that. All right. I need you guys to all quote together for me Genesis 1-1. In the? Okay. That's the key to the Bible as a whole. The religion of the Bible is a religion of the initiative of God. John Stott says this, you can never take God by surprise, never anticipate him. He always makes the first move. He's always there in the beginning. Before man existed, God acted. Before man stirs himself to seek God, God has sought man. In the Bible, we do not see man groping after God. We see God reaching after man. And that is powerful because that's completely different than other religions. And so we begin 
always with God. God has taken the initiative. John 6, says, no one, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. It begins with God. A.W. Tozer said, the impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. And what I hope for myself and for you guys during this study is that we're going to follow hard after God through the book of Romans. That's what we want to do. It says, uh, to have found God in salvation and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. This is what Tozer said. Complacency is the enemy of spiritual growth. Acute desire for God must be present or there'll be no manifestation of Christ to his people. And I love this phrase, he waits to be wanted. So he gives us the impulse to draw us to even want to know him. But once again, there's that partnership, he waits to be wanted. So I want to ask you, do you really want God? And as we move forward in the study, does your time and your effort reveal that? Does it reveal that? In Exodus 33, 7, um, let me find that. Exodus 33, 7. Or somebody have that, they could read that for me. I should have found that. This is where Moses, I believe, is coming to God. Now, if anyone had seen the presence of God and the glory of God, it had been Moses. But let's see what Moses says in um, Exodus 33, 7. And it illustrates what I'm talking about. Um, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And so Moses would go there and meet face to face. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose. And Moses entered the tent. The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And then we see Moses coming to God and asking God later. So he had met with God. He came in the presence of God. But a little bit later, he says, show me your glory. Now, you would think if anyone had seen the glory of God, it was Moses. And yet, he wanted more. Because once you've tasted the glory of God, you can't get enough. And if you feel a complacency, it's probably because you've not been making the time and the space to have that taste of the presence of God. And so, what are going to be the pri- the the byproducts of us trying to see the glory of God. Because in, in Romans, a lot of things are going to come, but I'll primarily what we're trying to do is see the glory of God because that's why God made us, for his glory. That's what God is revealing himself, for his glory. That's where we find satisfaction, the glory of God. And so as we look at all the things we're going to look at, the glory of God is the goal. But the byproducts are... From Romans, you're going to have a greater understanding of your beliefs and your faith. You're going to gain confidence to share the gospel. You're going to be equipped to teach other people, whether it's kids, grandkids, neighbors, um, anyone. But mostly, as you behold God's glory and revealed in the gospel of Christ, 
you're going to be changed in his image. And the verse that I love for that is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, And we all with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect, it can be translated either way, the Lord's glory. As we're contemplating his glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. So that tells us the more we linger and contemplate God, the more we become like him. And that is our goal. Romans is probably the most significant book as far as what has brought about revivals uh, from the Bible. It's, it's hugely important. Here's some quotes. Um, Martin Luther called it the chief part of the New Testament, the very purest gospel. Every Christian should know it word for word and occupy himself with it every day. That's what Martin Luther said. Um, Donald Barnhouse, a very famous preacher, spent 11 years and 572 messages teaching through Romans. Like, you want to talk about meat? There is so much meat in here. And so I'm taking two semesters, so obviously compared to that, we're doing a very light overview of Romans, okay? Uh, in 1772, a poet, Samuel Coleridge, said, It's the profoundest book in existence. The Swiss commentator Godet said, Every great spiritual revival in the church is connected with a deeper understanding of Romans. Okay? Now, Romans was written by Paul, and we'll talk more about him next week, um, a little bit more about the background on Paul. But Paul um, was a Jew, he was a Pharisee. And he began his career, obviously, um, he was not one of the original apostles or disciples, and he was a persecutor of Christians. He was a very faithful Jew and very zealous. And so he thought that, you know, Jesus was not the Messiah, he was a fake, and he did not want that falsehood out there. So that's what he spent his life doing until the Lord blinded him on the road to Damascus and spoke to him and he had his conversion. And then in Acts 9.15, when the Spirit sent Ananias to go to him while he was blinded and pray for him, the Spirit told Ananias, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So, we often think of Paul as a missionary to the Gentiles, but that's not really the case. He was to the Jews and the Gentiles, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, this, Romans was probably written on his third missionary journey while he was in Corinth, and it was written to believers in Rome. Paul did not start the church in Rome. We think it was probably started by people that were there at Pentecost, who went back and then spread the gospel after what happened at Pentecost when the Spirit came and Peter preached his message. Paul had not been to Rome when he wrote this, and when he finally got there, it was as a prisoner. But that's a little bit, and we'll do a little more background on Paul next week, but I want to give you some background to the book of Romans. And one thing I want to, I want to kind of bring to the table a little bit in this study is... Um, we have a tendency to read scriptures like they were written to us, and they, and they are. Ultimately, they are to us. But we must first do our best to understand the context and the people of the day in which they were written. And so one thing I want to bring is a little bit of the social context to the lens of our study in Romans. I'm using a book that was written by a former member here. It was our life group leader, Dr. David Cadell and Jamie Greenberg. 
Um, he's a friend. He gave me his book when he left, Bridging the Text and the Times. And he's a sociologist. And um, he this book is very interesting because it brings in a little bit of that perspective. And I'm going to bring it because I've never heard that perspective taught with Romans. And I feel like it'll bring a little different shade to meaning. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of information to kind of set the stage uh, for how you're looking at the book and so forth. So the New Testament is a context of Jews under Roman domination. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement. And as it grew, it expanded to include the Gentiles. The Gentiles are anyone who are not, part, not a Jew. Well, as it expanded, tensions began to arise about the need to follow the law or Torah. You know, the Jews, everything, they were so tied to Moses and the law because their righteousness was through that. And so everything was based on that. They held it in great esteem. That was sort of their hope for, you know, obeying the law. And so to have Jesus come for many of them and then say that your righteousness is not the law, you can see where there was like a, a big dissonance there on many levels. So it created tensions. Um, but a lot of people um, believe, Paul especially played into this. So as it expanded, these tensions arose, and Paul especially altered the view of the movement because he did not insist that Gentiles had to obey the Torah. More so even than like Peter and um, James and some of the early, they, they kind of even went a little more. They, they made allowances in the Jerusalem Council, but they still were a little more tied to that. And Paul, as he branched out, as we learned in Acts and went to all these places, he began to move even more away from that. And it was just based on your faith in Christ and, um, you know, following him. Yes, you obeyed the law, but your righteousness was not. He wanted to make that very, very clear. Many scholars, and I, I'd heard this, maybe you've heard this, stated that the Jewish mission was a failure, so the apostles then turned to the Gentiles. Have y'all heard that before, that this is what happened? Like, you know, God sent the gospel to the Jews, they rejected it, so then he went to the Gentiles, okay? And, and while there's a manner of that being true, think about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul says that Jesus appeared to over 500 believers. So you've already got 500 believers. And these are, these are Jews. It started with the Jews. In Acts 2, it said over 3,000 converts were at Peter's sermon. That's a lot. That's a lot of success. And Luke says that 5,000 were saved after Peter's second sermon. So in the context of that population, that is not a failure. If we had those kind of numbers, we would say this is an amazing movement. But throughout Acts, we see that Paul, when he went to a new place, he would go to the synagogue first. Do you guys remember that in Acts? He would go to the synagogue and preach. Generally, he would develop, if he could, a core congregation and then branch out to the Gentiles. Now, this is interesting, and I tell you this because I think there's an application for us. Modern sociology states that social movements spread most rapidly to the degree that they follow existing social networks. So we can call it a social movement. We know it's, it, it's our faith, but it is a social movement because it involves people. So it moves most quickly through existing networks. So think about your networks. Who are your networks? Friends, coworkers, family? 
primarily those are going to be your greatest avenues for sharing your faith and moving the gospel forward. And if we were all as faithful to do that, instead of thinking about just going to the stranger on the street, we would have probably a lot more fruit than we do. And sometimes we just forget that. But I thought that was very interesting. The Jews who became Christians, they had an advantage in the new church um, over the Gentiles because they had a lot of cultural continuity. You know, they had the Old Testament, and all through Romans, we're going to see so many quotations. Paul used the Old Testament because we know that the New Testament is ultimately a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So that was an advantage for the Jews. Um, Now, we know that this helped the spread of the gospel, the presence of Jews, because among the Greco-Roman cities that had a substantial enough Jewish population to have a synagogue, 100% had a Christian church by the end of the first century. Every Greco-Roman city that had a synagogue had a Christian church by the end of the first century. But the cities that did not have a synagogue, only 15% had a Christian church. So that tells you the success of using the synagogue and the existing Jewish thing to spread the gospel and how it moved forward. Now, um, the gospel came to Rome, like I said, Jews from Pentecost. But here's one of the things that I think is a piece of why Paul wrote this letter. And there's a lot of different views on why he wrote the letter, and he may have had many reasons. But in uh, 49 AD, Claudian, who is the emperor, um, there was a lot of tension and problems in uh, Jerusalem and in Rome and with the Jews, especially in Rome. And so he passed an edict that said he wasn't distinguishing between the Jews and the Jewish Christians. He kicked all Jews out of Rome, okay? So you already had the Christian churches, but then all the Jews had to leave. So what does that leave? Just the Gentile or pagan Christians there. So they were kicked out of Rome, um, let me see, for how many years? Five years. So then when Nero came, he ended the edict and he let the Jews come back. So when the Jewish Christians come back to their churches that have been run by the Gentiles, they had brought in a lot of, you know, symbols from their past and different things that were a little different from the straight Jews. So there arose tension. There arose tension in these congregations. So it wasn't just like one Roman church. It was probably groups that met in different houses, and most likely some were Gentiles and some were Jews, but there wasn't the unity. And so what we're going to see is Paul trying to bring unity, because Paul was not just an evangelist, he was a pastor. Those of you that did Acts, he would go through, he would stay at some places and teach, and then he would go back and check on the churches, he would send letters to them. He was like a pastor to these churches, all right? And so in this letter, he's playing that pastoral role, and he's trying to lay the identity of who we are in Christ, because that is where the unity comes from. Not our Jewish tradition, not our pagan. Who are we in Christ? And that's true today, guys. We break down barriers with all kinds of people when we connect over our faith, do we not? Socially, uh, racially, we can have all these differences, and yet when we really hone in on who we are in Christ and the truth of who we are, there's an amazing unity that's brought about by the Spirit. And that's a lot of what Paul is doing in laying this out in this letter. Okay, the core of who you are, not just as a person. He's not just saying this is how you are saved as an individual, but this is how the body of Christ is to be. It's who you are and how you are to be. Um, 
most likely, okay, let me say, this is one thing that makes Romans a little difficult. So the book is written as a series of arguments, okay? It's not just like, hey, how you doing? You know, I went to see my grandma last week, okay? It's like he is laying out in a series of arguments, and he's using um, a Greek technique uh, that's called the diatribe, which now we have a bad connotation to a diatribe. It's a negative thing. But this was, this was the way that they would teach. And one thing he uses in here, and I did not know this word until I was studying this, he uses an imaginary interlocutor. You ever heard of that? An interlocutor. That's a person that's like having a conversation with you and discussing something, okay? So sometimes he'll ask a question or he'll answer something or act like someone has asked him a question and then he'll give the answer. That is like a technique of how he's putting this out for his people that they would have been familiar with. And so that can make it kind of weird and you can kind of get bogged down in everything that's in Romans. So you want to get the kind of the big picture but you also want to get to the very specifics. And always in Scripture, you want to hold both of those in your hand. So we'll be doing both of those. Um, and so most likely, he put this together. This was not something that he just sat down off the cuff and put together. Most likely, as he traveled through Acts and went to all these churches, he had teaching. And so probably he just put all of that together in one body for the church at Rome of what he had been teaching all this time. Um, it says in Acts 19.10, uh, somebody find that for me and read the Acts 19.10. So this is talking about when he stayed at Ephesus. He stayed at Ephesus and he taught every day for two years. Okay, one early, early writer said um, that he taught five hours a day. That comes out to be 3,120 hours more than what you do in seminary. That's what he taught at Ephesus. Most likely, this is a lot of what he taught at Ephesus that he put in a very concise, organized way. Okay, so that makes sense how it could be so complex that he had done this. So I want to read you a few things that John MacArthur says that questions that Romans answer. Okay, so I want to throw this out there. Romans answers many questions concerning man and God. Some of the more significant questions it answers are, what is the good news of God? Is Jesus really God? What is God like? How can God send people to hell? Why do men reject God and his son, Jesus Christ? Why are there false religions and idols? What is man's biggest sin? Why are there sex perversions, hatred, crime, dishonesty, and all the other evils in the world? And why are they so pervasive and rampant? What is the standard by which God condemns people? How can a person who has never heard the gospel be held spiritually responsible? Do Jews have a greater responsibility to believe than Gentiles? Who is a true Jew? Is there any spiritual advantage to being Jewish? How good is man in himself? How evil is man in himself? Can any person keep God's law perfectly? How can a person know he's a sinner? How can a sinner be forgiven and justified by God? How is a Christian related to Abraham? What is the importance of Christ's death? What is the importance of his resurrection? What is the importance of his present life in heaven? For whom did Christ die? Where can men find real peace and hope? How are all men related spiritually to Adam? How are believers related spiritually to Jesus Christ? What is grace and what does it do? How are God's grace and God's law related? How does a person die spiritually and become reborn? Okay, it keeps going. 
if you stick with us, hopefully a lot of those questions will be answered for you. And so that's pretty amazing to think, and we're only doing 16 weeks this time, but in 32 weeks, you can be exposed, and there's way more. There's a confidence that comes with delving into the Word of God. There are going to be things in here that are going to be hard to understand, and you're not going to understand. But the beauty of trying to ponder God is that you know more as you linger, like we said, and behold Him. But you get to a place, because we're finite, where you're not going to get it all. And that's okay. You know what you do when that happens? You just stop and you worship him because he's bigger than you. And I find that to be a beautiful place. When my mind is stretched that I can't make sense of how, how accountability, man's you know, accountability and God's grace and election and predestination and all those things we're going to talk about... It's great to wrestle with those. So many people run away from that, and they end up with such a weak, limited view of God because they're afraid to wrestle with the difficult things. So don't be afraid to have your mind stretched to the place, or as Jen Wilkin always says, to dwell in the I don't know. Because if you ponder God, you're going to dwell in the I don't know if you ponder him very much, okay? So... All of these things are going to be here, uh, we're going to cover that, that, that are going to help you with your life. But I want to say this, you know, um, in, the, in the next lesson, uh, we're going to see the thesis of Romans in Romans 16 and 17. And I have a thing on here, we're going to memorize that by the time this study is over. You're going to memorize, uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and to salvation for everyone who believes first for the Jew and for the Gentile. We're going to memorize that. That is the thesis of Romans. However, I want, I, I want to go ahead, and we won't do this till next semester. We won't get to this part. But um, I, I have probably, I guess if you want to call it, two life verses. And one of them is in Romans. And, and while 1617 is the thesis, I think this is also a thesis, and I think it's the thesis of the whole Bible. And it's in Romans 1136. And we'll, we're going to cover this chapter. We won't, we're just going to do the first eight this semester. But in Romans 11.36 says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. Revelation, come Lord Jesus. The glory of God is... From him, through him, and to him are all things. That is the thesis of the word of God, and that should be the thesis of our lives. That we are here because everything we are and have is from God. It comes through God to us through Jesus Christ, which we're going to see in the gospel. And our lives then and everything exists for God. It's to him. It's not to ourselves. And part of the problem, as I said, in for all of us and in the church, is that we become very man-centered. We can approach Bible study in a man-centered way. We can approach worship in a man-centered way. Like, what do you have for me? How can I apply this to my life? And, and there's a place for that. But the Bible is here as a window to see God, to see the glory of God. The gospel, yes, has practical implications for us of how to live our lives, how to make sense of things, but it's here for us to glimpse the glory of God, for us to be stunned by who he is and to be changed by that and to live our lives for 
eternal significance, not the daily grind. We got to do the daily grind. I get it. But if you're like me, sometimes I can forget that I'm here for eternal purposes in the daily grind. And that's what my hope is for all of us with Romans, that we won't just get bogged down into the doctrine alone, but that it would stir our hearts to see the glory of God. Okay? Um, Now, if you would get your lesson out, I want to make a couple of points about how I've done the Bible study here. And because it's, I think, really important to do things in context, this very first lesson, I'm going to have you do a lot of reading because I want you to at least get an overview of the book, okay? So there's not as many questions from the actual lesson because you're going to be doing quite a bit of reading. If you want to, you can listen to it audio, audio book when you're doing stuff. As a matter of fact, one of the teachers, the books that I have said that to really get Romans, you should listen to it because that's how they heard it. It was auditory. They would read the letter aloud. They didn't, they didn't study the text and look at it like we do and mark it up, which I like to do. But I'm saying there's a place for listening because, that, of course, they were better at it than we are but, um, because that's all they had. But if you just want to listen to it to get an overview, what I really want you to do, and you don't have room on here, so do it on a notebook paper, is this will be helpful to me. I'm going to bring some note cards next week, too. All I want you to do, because it's going to be an overview as you do these first few sections, is write down any thoughts, something that stood out to you, questions, something you don't understand, why did he say this, anything like that that just comes to your mind that either stands out to you or a question you have. I would like to get some of those questions and thoughts on note cards next week, so it'll help me as I go through the lesson. And it also helps you just try to be alert for some things to stand out. Okay, so that's what you're going to do on this first section where you're just doing an overview. Any thoughts or questions that stand out? Always the first approach to studying any passage is to just get familiar with it. This is a very broad overview. It's 16 chapters, and we're only going to cover eight, but I always think you should do the whole book. I, I was telling Deanne today, unless it was Genesis, which has like 50 chapters, I would make you read 50 chapters in one week, but that's what you're going to do on this first section. Now, for the second half, and you can divide this up whatever way works for you with your schedule. We're going to, next week, I'm going to teach on verses 1 through 17. And there's some questions on here. What I want to ask you, because the goal is that this is your relationship with God. Please, please, please do not go look at a commentary. I'm looking at the commentaries. But I didn't look at the commentary until I spent time in it myself. You could do commentaries later, but I don't want you to bring what somebody else said, okay? I want you, even if it's like, I got no clue. At least that's an honest thing of where you were, okay? Don't look at commentaries. You can use, uh, I have a reference Bible here. You can use any cross-references if you know how to do that. And all that means is if you're reading a verse and there's like a little... um, superscription you can look it up and you can go find where that same subject is taught elsewhere let scripture interpret scripture you can use a dictionary or a bible dictionary for meanings of words that's great don't read commentaries or or google stuff i want you to think okay is everybody good with that okay and if you don't know that's fine i give you some other verses here and I want you to begin memorizing the thesis 16 and 17 because we're going to learn it by the time we're done these weeks because it's a great 
thing to learn, and we'll be talking about that next week. Oh, no. Yeah, and it's fine, however you want to do it. You mean like on the memorization? No, you can memorize it however you want. I'm going to probably do NIV because I'm an NIV girl. But, yeah, it doesn't have to be exact. I just want you to learn it. Whatever, King James, whatever is good for you, that's fine. I just want us to memorize that, okay? And so your pacing and how you do this, any, anything that's confusing or questions, feel free to send them to me, or you can, next week I'll have cards with write on the cards. So anybody have a question about the homework and how that goes? And I say homework, please don't think of that as like school, like you're going to be graded on it, or if you come and you don't have anything, you know, I, know, I knew people even in Bible study fellowship, like they didn't have their lesson, they wouldn't come. Don't do that. But please don't be that person that never has anything either, okay? <laughs> because you remember the cry aloud for understanding, searching for it as silver? I'll never forget, they told us in Bible study, uh, fellowship one time, she said this. She said, okay, if I told you that uh, you go home and every Bible verse you memorize this week, I'm going to give you $100 when you come back, how many verses would you memorize? And think about it. Does that tell us where our heart is? I mean, maybe your heart's not there, but it stabbed me. I was like, man, I'd be memorizing a bunch of verses. So, Um, but the other thing that I gave you, and this is just the Lisa Walker brief outline. I don't, let me see if I have, there are a million ways to give outline. This is very simple because I like simple that you can kind of see how the book is divided up as you're making your way through it. Next week is the intro one through 17. It says Romans outline. And like I said, this is mine. It's not formal. It's very brief. So that's the intro. And then from 118 to 320, it covers man's sin. It shows how all are accountable and how the law is broken. Okay? Then when we start, there's a big shift in 321, one of my favorite verses in the whole book, through chapter 5. We cover God's solution because we talked about how everyone's broken, his righteousness in Christ. All of that's covered through chapter 5. Then in 6 through 8, we talk the role of the law. 7 will be the struggle with the flesh. And 8, the power of the spirit. Phil just taught on that. Then 9 through 11, oh, I can't wait to teach those. Um, God's plan for the Jews and how he's true to his word. That's where we're going to talk about predestination and election and all those good things that none of us completely understand. Uh, finally, 12 through 16, our responsibility because of all that God has done. And so one thing I will say is Paul's pattern in most of his letters is doctrine and then duty. He lays out the doctrine. This is who you are because of what God's done. This is what you should do in light of it. You need doctrine before you just go to duty. If you don't realize who you are and all that you have, it's hard to just, you become like a Jew, just doing the duty to try to be right with God. So that's, Romans is very much the same way. So we won't get into the actual how we respond until next semester, because we're going to cover one through eight um, in this semester. So does anyone have a question about any of that or what it looks like? Our plan is when we get in here, We'll get into groups and go over some of the questions. We won't have time to go over everything, but share a little bit about what God was teaching you that week and maybe what you struggled with as far as understanding and just kind of rehash a little bit with each other and learn from each other. We'll probably do that for just about 20 minutes or so, and then I will do teaching 
and then we'll be dismissed. So that's kind of how it's going to go. Does anybody have anything they want to ask or comments or anything specific I might need to do differently? Maybe our air will catch up a little bit better. Let's, let's all wear sundresses next time or shorts. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say I'm so excited that you're here. If you know anyone that would like to do a study, just have them uh, sign up on, on uh, Crossgate. I don't know if it's on the women's page. We'll get it on there as a link. You can go to crossgate.org and sign up, and that way you can get the stuff emailed to you. I probably won't get it done till sent out till Friday night or Saturday, as far as you know, for those that aren't here and so forth, because Byron won't get it to me till Friday at noon. That's my grandkid day, so I don't know. We'll see how things go with that. But um, I'm just excited to be on this journey with you guys. You know, I need my heart stirred. One of the reasons I'm teaching is because I need my heart stirred. The day-in, day-out grind wears me down in my gaze. It's so easy for it to get off of eternal things. And especially right now, it's just crazy at school. Those of you that are teachers, you know, it's just, it's just hard to think of eternal things. But I hope that this is a time that we can come away along with our time during the week and just, you know, just soak in the goodness of God and the beauty of who he is. And not take the gospel for granted because part of our fallen nature is that we become familiar with things and it doesn't seem important. We see that with kids and their toys, right? They're wonderful for a few weeks and then they're boring. And that's true for us with things that we get as well. And we can do that same thing with who God is if we're not freshly approaching him because he is not the same as far as understanding because there's always new facets to understand and new ways to see. And so let's all pray for ourselves and each other that he will help us do that. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Thank you all for being here and being patient. I didn't see anybody snore, so I guess I'm good to go. And I will not be having enchiladas next week, I assure you. <laughs> thank you, guys. I'm excited for this study, so let me pray. God, we just come before you. We thank you for the beauty of the gospel. We thank you for um, how you have led Paul to lay all this out for us, to set the stage for us to understand uh, the purpose and why it's here to get ready. But help us this week, Lord. Show us the things you want us to see. Help us to make time for you. Help us to love you. Lord, you wait to be wanted. Help us to want you, Lord and say no to other things to make time for you. We need you to help us because we are weak and we are fickle, and we want our hearts to be anchored to you, God. And so we pray that you would help us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.